Good morning, and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34. It's also printed in your bulletin. A few weeks ago, we started a series on the habits of a healthy church. We've talked about community, our value of Scripture, the need for evangelism, and today we're going to talk about prayer. So I thought we'd start with some questions. And I, I want you to actually raise your hands on these, all right? So raise your hand if you think Christians should pray. Raise your hand if you pray. Raise your hand if you feel like you pray often. Raise your hand if you feel like you pray well. <laughs> Who feels like they should probably pray better and more often? Well, we're done here. <laughs> sermon over. That would be the easiest sermon in the world to preach. Uh, I could get up here and I could say, pray more, pray harder, and then I could be done. Uh, and would you do that? Would that change anything? Is that anything you don't already know? I mean, that's basically just a guilt trip, right? How come you're not praying more? I mean, doesn't that already contribute to the feelings that we have about not praying enough? And so I could get up here and, and pray a, preach a sermon like that. But I think prayer is not quite that simple as many of us have experienced. And a sermon like that probably actually wouldn't be very useful. It probably wouldn't change the way you pray or how often you pray or anything like that in the, in the end. So how, how, how useful is it to motivate people with a guilt trip? Not very. And how, how healthy is it to be motivated by guilt in a major area of life? Well, it's not at all healthy. In fact, it's the very definition of unhealthy to be that way. And so we want to do something different than that today. We want to talk about prayer in a bit of a different way than just saying, pray more, pray harder. Uh, let's look at, we'll start by looking at this prayer of David in Psalm 34. And as we, as we go through it, ask yourself, what does he pray about? What kind of prayer is this? What words would you use to describe this prayer if you were telling somebody else about it? And what can we learn about prayer from Psalm 34. So here we go, beginning at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's the first part. Notice how from the very first verse, David, who's writing this psalm, has already corrected our understanding of prayer. When we think of prayer, what is usually the first thing that comes to mind? Or better yet, a better question is, when we pray, what do we usually spend most of our time talking about? If your prayers are like mine, then most of the time we're asking God for something. That's kind of the, the bedrock, the foundation of our prayers. But notice where David begins his prayer. Not by focusing on himself and his feelings or his needs or his requests. He starts by focusing on God. It's kind of interesting. He starts by f talking to God about God. You see that? That's the starting place. And I think this is a good example for us to follow. This is a good way to start praying. One of the most important things we can do when praying is lift our eyes up. To look beyond this moment to look beyond ourselves and remember the big picture of what God is doing all around us. So watch for that as we continue reading in Psalm 34. Here's verse 4 
through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, only after considering God, only after that does David cry out and speak his heart. But notice then, even then, his focus is on God and what God is like and what God is doing. What kind of God is he? What are the, just look at the verbs that are in those four verses. What are the verbs? He's the God who hears, who answers, who delivers, who saves. That's the, that's the testimony. Even as David is crying out, he's describing God's response when people cry out. Likewise, whenever we cry out to God, when we seek his face and pour out our hearts, we should remember who he is and what he's like and what he has promised and how he has responded before. Uh, Those are all things that we should keep in mind as we pray. So let's read uh, the next section here, beginning of verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, come, children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I don't often hear people talk about prayer's ability to teach us. But we should notice that in the Bible, prayers always have some kind of truth content to them. Maybe it's just because those are the the really substantive prayers that got written down. I don't know. But we can always learn something from the substance of the prayers in the Bible. And in this case, look at the the prayer teaches. In the middle of a prayer, he, he breaks off into this thing about wisdom and ethics. He talks about both how we are to live and why, right in the middle of the prayer. Now, I know most of my prayers don't have that kind of content, if I'm being really honest. But if I'm using the prayers of the Bible as my example, then maybe they should. Because the prayers of the Bible consistently have this kind of substantive comment, and they call you toward knowing something, believing something, and doing something. So maybe that should be a feature of our prayers, too. Uh, Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The theme in this part of the psalm is similar to the beginning. We learn something about God, what he's like, what he values, what he does. We learn something about ourselves, our need, our hope. And we learn something about prayer its importance, and its effect. And it's worth noting, again, 
before we move on from Psalm 34. In this prayer, what does David spend most of his time, most of his words on? And how does that compare with with our prayers? I think that's very much worth considering as we we talk about prayer. So keep Psalm 34 open. It's going to be an example that we come back to a little bit. But I thought it would be good to turn our attention to a few general things about prayer too. The first question that we'll answer, very simple, is why pray? Why should we pray? Maybe you're a Christian and you're wondering, why should I, or maybe, sorry, maybe you're not a Christian and you're wondering, why should I, as a non-Christian, pray to the God of the Bible? Why would this pastor guy tell me that I should do that? Or maybe you are a Christian, but you wonder about your own motivation for praying. Why pray? Well, as we said at the beginning, guilt is not a good motivation for prayer. Uh, not, we shouldn't pray because we're supposed to. Because I know I'm supposed to, and I don't know how, but I do it anyway. Uh, that's not a good enough reason. I'll give you two better reasons. Here's two better reasons why we should pray. The first is this. You should pray because you can. Sounds simple. But here's the, you have the opportunity to speak to the God of the universe. You have the opportunity, an open-door policy with the most creative being ever. I mean, that should fascinate and excite us. Imagine this. Imagine you heard a knock at your door this afternoon, and you go and you open the door, and there standing in front of you, in the flesh, is Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla, and Steve Jobs. And they're all just hanging out and chatting, and they just came to your door. They're standing outside. Your first thought would be, wow, I thought all of these guys were dead. But if they actually showed up at your house and said, may we come in, uh, you probably would have some questions for them, right? I mean, you probably could think of something to talk with those guys about, right? Uh, it probably wouldn't, wouldn't be hard to have a good conversation that day. If they showed up at your house, you'd probably enjoy that. Well, now imagine this. If after being at your house for, say, an hour or two, these four men said to you, we've really enjoyed uh, talking with you very much. But since we we all previously died, they've turned all of our houses into museums. And so we have nowhere to stay tonight. Would it be okay if we stayed with you? Well, this would be really exciting. You'd be, wow, I don't just get to have a conversation with them for an hour. Like, they want to stay over, and I get to have, I can just, we can talk all night. This is great. Maybe you'd call your friends and tell them, guess who's at my house? Um, Maybe you wouldn't call your friends, because that would just be, that would, they would think you were crazy. But what if months later, what if months later, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Alva Edison, Nikola Tesla, and Steve Jobs were all still at your house? What if they were all still there? What if they had filled your living room and your bedroom and your bathroom with various experiments and tech projects? How would you react if they were still there after months and they, they didn't seem like they had any plans to leave? How would you feel about that? I suspect that even with people as exciting and interesting as those four, uh, after a while, the novelty would wear off, wouldn't it? The, the novelty of speaking with four great creators would wear off. Even if they were pretty easy to live with, just simple familiarity often uh, keeps us from continuing conversations. We, uh, they make even those interesting conversations we would have with people like that happen less often, wouldn't they? Just simple familiarity. I wonder if the same thing hasn't happened to us 
in prayer. Is it possible that having so much access to the Creator has made us too familiar? Could it be that our interest in talking with Him has waned because it's almost too easy? We need to remind ourselves every day that the God who made us wants to speak with us. He wants to hear your thoughts, and he is offering you his thoughts in return. We can't allow familiarity to desensitize us to the fact that the God who created all things has an open-door policy with you. That's pretty amazing. So the first reason, that's just one example. We could go on about that. But uh, the first reason we should pray is because we can. The God who made us wants to speak with us. But the second reason we should pray is because God helps us to pray. The infinite God is so committed to communicating with us that he helps us communicate with him. He covers the spread, so to speak, between his perfection and our limitations. How does he do that? In what way? Well, he helps us in a couple different ways. The first is that the Holy Spirit... God himself, one of the three persons of the Trinity, is, the Bible describes it, as in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. I recently heard a pastor say, he said, I think we, re- we radically undervalue the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. That there is a supernatural power of God actively at work, enabling us to do things that we are naturally unable to do. We undervalue that fact. That doesn't enter into our equation. We say, well, this is possible and that's not possible. But we fail to take into account that the supernatural power of God is at play in this moment. The power of God to change people, as Shelton mentioned earlier. Does it seem impossible to do what God has asked you to do? When you look at the things God has asked you to do, when you even look, just say it, pray. Does it seem impossible sometimes? Well, that's because it is. It is impossible apart from the supernatural power of God. But here's the good news, is that we have the Holy Spirit in us. Those who are in Christ have the supernatural power of God. I found at least 18 Bible passages that describe the people of God as filled with the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 7, I'll read that one, because it tells us why being filled with the Spirit is important in prayer. This is what Romans 8 says. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, but we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit is in us, but, but wait, there's more. Uh, Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, this second person of the Trinity is praying for you, that you will be able to pray. He is actively praying for you. Romans 8 also tells us, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. That's what Romans 8 says. So the Son of God, who the Father describes as, in whom I am well pleased, is sitting there next to the Father, interceding for us. And I imagine this, this is my own imagination speaking, so I could be off. I imagine this as Jesus sort of like translating or transforming my prayers. You know, I pray, and then Jesus says, Father, what Brian means to say is this. Or, 
what he should be asking in this moment is this. And I imagine that's the, that's the prayer the Father hears. And if, and if I feel like, well, I, don't, I feel kind of tentative about this prayer. I'm not even sure what I should pray for. Like, just pray. Just pray boldly. Because the Son is there with you in, before the throne of the Father. And he's, he's, is this fair to say? He's fixing your prayers. And when you, when you ask for something that you shouldn't ask for, or you, I don't know if this is the right thing to pray for, he edited, edits it a little bit. He corrects it. And he says, Father, this is what Brian needs. And the Father grants that. That's the dynamic that the Father and the Son have, and that's the blessing that we have in being in Christ. That's amazing. So Romans 8 says this again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Those are two good reasons why we should pray. Because we can, because God himself is helping us to communicate with himself. He's intervening so that prayer is possible, so that prayer is fruitful, so that something comes out of it at all. That's why we should pray, because we can and because God helps us. Now let's look at a handful of ways how to pray. How can we pray? There are a lot of questions that we might ask about that. How can we pray better? How can we pray more? What about when we just don't know what to pray? I'll briefly mention a handful of things. Just kind of briefly mention a handful here. Number one, pray confidently. Pray confidently. As we've already said, the Holy Spirit is within you. The Son of God is already before the Father's throne praying for you on your behalf. Hebrews 4.16 puts it well. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So pray confidently. That's the first one. The second one is pray always. Now, I don't mean repeat some kind of mantra over and over and over again. It's not like that. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And then in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So pray always. Our prayers should be more than just requests. We should pray not only in times of need, but also in times of joy. We should pray during the times of the mundane and the routine. Follow the example of Psalm 34. Look at Psalm 34 again. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. That's joyful praise. Then in verse 4, he's on to talking about times of fear. And then in verse 11 and following, he talks about times of teaching, learning, And all these things are all in the same prayer. The content of this prayer is applicable to most any time of life, really. So in the words of 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So pray confidently, pray always. The third one is pray honestly. Be honest. If you read through a bunch of prayers in the Bible all at once, if you just read through 20 prayers from the Bible all at once, I think you'll be struck by how really, really honest they are. They're honest about God, as we've already pointed out, who he is, what he's like, what he loves, and what he does. But they're also incredibly honest about ourselves. The prayer, the one who's praying, is always very honest about their feelings and their failures 
and their decisions and their desires and their dreams. All of those things come through the prayer in powerful ways. And if we're following their example, then our prayers should be just as honest as theirs. So what about when it's hard to do that? What about when it's hard to be honest with God? I I would guess that many people in this room have felt angry at God. What about when we feel angry at God? When the last person we want to talk to is God. I mean, have we not, have we not felt that way sometimes? For, maybe it's because of something that he allowed to happen. Maybe it was for an earnest prayer that you pleaded with him over and over again, Lord, please accomplish this. And he answers in the negative. And the marriage falls apart. And the loved one passes away. And the business folds The job is lost. Sometimes it's for something you allowed to happen. Maybe it's for an an earnest prayer that he answers in the negative. But how should we react when we're angry at God? How how can we pray? Well, I think maybe uh, anger at God is a topic for another sermon. If you are angry with God, uh, come and talk to me. Come and talk to a, go and talk to a Christian that you, whose opinion you value, who you respect. Put it on the table and deal with the honest truth of how you're feeling. That's what the prayers in the Bible do. Uh, the psalmist sometimes, you can almost imagine him raising his fists in the air and shouting at God. If you read through the Psalms, there are moments like that. They're not afraid to be honest with God. And I think that, I think that we can do the same. We can follow their example. We, we see that honesty in Psalm 34. We see it in all the Psalms, really. Numerous writers over the years have pointed out how every human emotion, every human emotion is represented somewhere in the Psalms. Even anger and bitterness and fear and jealousy, it's all in there. It's all prayed for at some point in the Psalms. So dive into the Psalms and see how God's people have prayed about these things in the past. And then you do the same. Get it on the table. Spit it out. God wants to hear your thoughts, even if your thoughts are, I'm really angry at you right now. He still wants to hear that. All of which leads us to the last thing. The last thing I want to talk about is pray God's word. That's the fourth. Pray honestly, pray always, but also pray God's word. Do you really want to change your prayer life for the better? Do you, re- do you want... Uh, to improve your prayers, to find new things to pray about, to get out of the rut of praying about the same old things all the time in the same old ways. One of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received, and I'll pass it on to you, is use the words of the Bible to guide your prayers. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. Some people in this room will chuckle because I've already foisted this book on them and told them to read it. But this is by Donald Whitney, and it's called Praying the Bible. I can't recommend this book highly enough. I have two extra copies of this. So the first two people to ask for one, get one today. Um, It's one of my favorite books that I've read in the last few years. It's a very simple book to read, and it's very quick and easy to read. The author asks, why is it so difficult to pray? Why isn't it more enjoyable? Why are our prayers so repetitive? And so, uh, this is not his word for it. He's better at English grammar than I am. But wish listy. Why are our prayers so wish listy? And the answer, he says, is that our thoughts and our, even our own vocabulary, what we have coming from within, is too limited. The, th- the kinds of thoughts that we have, the kinds of words that we use to speak to God are too limited by our own experience, personality, what we have 
within us. And so he says that we need to use the words of God to teach us how to pray to God. And then he describes a simple way to use the Bible to shape and inform our prayers. And it's basically to read through a passage, and as you maybe read through it once, and then maybe read through it again, and just interact with the text. It's not supposed to be a commentary. You're not supposed to be worried about, you know, the deeper meaning or anything like that, but just use the words to shape your own prayer. And I thought that that would be a great way to finish, would be through praying through Psalm 34. So let's pray together. Oh Lord, we do bless you. <clears throat> we bless you now, and we ask you to teach us how to bless you at all times. <clears throat> we promise, or we ask that you would remake us so that our praise, your praise would be continually in our mouths. Help our souls to boast in you and only in you. Help us to cease boasting of all of the things that, that we take pride in, all of the things that we find meaning in, that we gain identity from. Help those things to move to the side. And, and may you be the center of our lives. Uh, in verse 4, when we, when we seek you, may it be with confidence, knowing that you answer. And we do ask that you would deliver us from all of our fears. There are, there are a couple hundred people here today. I would expect that there are a couple thousand fears represented here. But we, we ask you to deliver us from our fears. Help us to never be ashamed. And when we cry out to you, hear us, we pray, and save us from all of our troubles. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We have tasted and seen, but we yearn for more. We ask you, oh Lord, to pour out your, your delicious grace to us and uh, bless us and help us to take refuge in you. Help us to teach your truth, to speak to our children, to our friends, to our family, uh, to teach them the fear of the Lord and how to live and why. And turn your eyes toward us and your ears toward us, we pray. Some, some days it feels like many are our afflictions, but we know uh, not because of our feelings, uh, not because of our perceptions, but because of your word, what you have told us. We know that you deliver us from all of these things. And so we pray, O oh Lord, redeem the life of your servants. May none of those who take refuge in you be condemned. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.